Welcome to the Success Matters podcast series with Christopher Helmrath, where business leaders share how their organizations created successful strategies for long-term viability. Welcome to Success Matters, a podcast series featuring business leaders and their stories of managing organizations through change. My name is Chris Helmrath, and I'm the managing director of the SCNH Group, and I am the host of this podcast. Thirty years ago, names like Eastman Kodak, Sears Roebuck, and F.W. Woolworth were companies on the Dow Jones Industrial Index of the top 30 stocks in the United States. Today, they have been replaced by companies like Apple, Nike, and Walt Disney. These three consumer-focused companies had strong brands and loyal customers, so why are they no longer successful? Today's successful consumer-focused companies are bringing the products and services that consumers demand in which they are willing to pay for. You may remember the TV commercials of the 80s and 90s where you were told that you could buy a -a once-in-a-lifetime collection of songs, books, or videos. Time Life Books did a remarkable job of penetrating households and bringing these unique music sets and book collections to your doorstep if you just called the number on the screen and provided a credit card number. Is Time Life Books still in existence today? Are these loyal customers of the 1980s and 90s still being provided with collections of music they had to have? Founded in 1961 as the book division of Time Inc., Time Life took its name from Time Inc.'s cornerstone magazine, Time and Life, and over the following decades became synonymous with quality entertainment collections. Today, Time Life is part of Direct Holdings Global, a company with a diverse portfolio of brands and products. Current Direct Holdings global brands include Time Life, Star Vista Live, Lifestyle Products Group, Kit Tech, and C4G Holdings. Direct Holdings' mission is to bring their customers the high-quality products and experiences that enhance their lives and solve their problems. Direct Holdings Global has a long history of successfully marketing unique, niche products starting from its founding as Time Life. The company stands behind everything they do, say, sell, with the highest integrity. I'm pleased today that we have with us Christopher Hearing, the President and CEO of Direct Holdings Global. This has led Direct Holdings for the past nine years after many years in multiple financial leadership roles. Over that time span, Chris shepherded Direct Holdings through substantial evolutionary change as the entertainment marketplace underwent significant disruption and the television industry where Direct Holdings traditionally marketed to their customers underwent a similar disruption. Today, Chris leads a successful organization with a broad product portfolio and diversified marketing strategy. Direct Holdings has evolved significantly over the past five to ten years and is poised to continue the evolution in coming years, blending compelling multi-channel marketing campaigns with award-winning products and services. Chris, thank you very much for joining me today. Well, thank you for inviting me to join you. I'll tell you, you guys have a remarkable story. And let's go back to 2004 when Time Warner spun off the Time Light business and you took it private and you've held it ever since. How has this business really changed over those last 12 years? Well, Chris, the, the business today is, is largely uh, unrecognizable from where it was 10 or 12 years ago. If I go back to 2004 when we went private, um, almost all, 97% of our revenue was being generated through sales of physical products, CDs, 
and DVDs. We were doing almost all of our advertising. Again, a very high 90% of our advertising was being done on TV. Um, we had a big infrastructure, um, high fixed costs. I had over 1,000 um, employees on payroll. We had offices all around the U.S. and around the world. Um, we owned and operated uh, warehouses, call centers, um, and a number of different uh, operations globally. So fast forward today to 2016, um, that CD-DVD business is still an important part of our business, but it's less than two-thirds. It's only about 60% of our revenue uh, that we generate today, and, and the other 40% comes through other products like fitness products, uh, household products, beauty products, and we also have a growing live entertainment business that makes up about 20% of our revenue that did not exist 10 years ago. While TV is still a big driver, um, it's only part of the story from a marketing perspective. We now have a robust digital advertising platform um, that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Um, we are broadly distributed into retail outlets, whether those are brick and mortar or online. Um, and we use PR pretty extensively to drive awareness. It's something that we didn't do before. Um, overall, so the, the product model has changed dramatically. The marketing model has changed dramatically and the organization has changed along with that. We've transformed the business from that heavy fixed cost model of 2004 um, into a model where today I've only got 60 employees in the company down from over a thousand. Um, those 60 employees are managing a host of outsource vendors, um, call centers and warehouses, distribution centers, um, but are mostly focused on product development and product marketing, the things that we bring uh, skill and talent to. We let outsource providers do the, do the operational work, and that's what they do really well. And we focus our time and attention on things that we do really, really well, which is develop great products and great, great marketing campaigns. Chris, that is some incredible change over the last 12 years. Can you try to pinpoint what really drove the evolution to where you are today? Yeah, it's a great question. It really, the market did it to us. Um, oh, there's been uh, incredible market disruption to our traditional business model. Um, think about the recorded music industry 10 years ago. 98% of all music um, was sold via physical uh, and mostly almost all completely CDs. Um, today, that's less than a third of the recorded music market. The, the rest of the revenue comes from streaming um, and downloading. And there's an ongoing shift even within that revolution where streaming last year overtook digital download as the primary revenue uh, driver in the recorded music uh, industry. That same thing's happening in video, um, less on the downloading side, but uh, certainly on the streaming side with services like Netflix um, and Amazon Prime. Um, because we don't own content, or we don't own a lot of content, we license most of our content from studios and, and record labels, we can't really participate effectively in that digital marketplace. So we were increasingly over the years getting squeezed out of what was the growing side of those two businesses. On the TV advertising side, that has undergone dramatic revolution as well. Go back 10 years ago, um, cable pen penetration in the U.S. was less than a third, and almost nobody had satellite. 
Um, fast forward to today in 2016, over 80% of households in the U.S. have either cable or satellite services. And even that is transforming where people are now cutting those cords, getting off of cable, getting off of satellite completely, and, and shifting to uh, digital delivery over the Internet exclusively. So what was our uh, profound uh, a major advertising vehicle, TV advertising, um, fragmented in front of our eyes, and we had to respond to it. So we had to respond to the product challenges as um, digital delivery of music and video uh, took over, and we've had to uh, we've had to respond to the change um, in our major advertising platform as the TV marketplace has fragmented. So if we hadn't evolved and we hadn't changed that business model, I don't think we'd be in, in business today. I, I think my statement is true. Most companies and their leadership would have folded up the tent and gone home had they known that they'd be dealing with the evolution and change that you had to deal with over these last six to eight years just listening to what you just said. How did you drive that evolution and keep the organization focused to be able to be where you are today? Yeah, another great question. I, to be clear, we've got that business plan that is what happens if we don't evolve and, and we need to shut down over the next couple of years. We've got it in a file drawer somewhere. We thankfully never had to actually take it out uh, and, and start the wind down plan. Um, in order to, the, to address the challenges, uh, I see two real keys. Um, one is having a real understanding of what our core capabilities as a company are, and second, having a deep understanding um, and relationship with our customer base. In terms of core capabilities, what I'm talking about is what are we really good at as a company and of those things that we're really good at, what provides a strategic advantage over our competitors? Um, in our case, it's those core capabilities. There are four or five of them. The two big ones are that we're, we are outstanding at leveraging our brand. A time like brand has a lot of value, and we do a very good job of leveraging that, um, both to consumers and to uh, B2B partners. Um, and we've also got extensive and deep relationships across the entertainment industry. Those are core capabilities that we have as a company that we're able to leverage. On top of that, we've got tremendous marketing skills and uh, great capabilities in product positioning and building outstanding multi-channel marketing campaigns. So those are two fundamental core capabilities of the direct holdings business that we need to understand so that we can leverage them going forward. In terms of customers, we've got a uh, target market of aging baby, baby boomers from middle America. Um, we sell to younger audiences, we sell to older audiences, we certainly sell into urban areas, but we think of our core demographic as a couple in their 60s, they live in Des Moines, Iowa. Um, they've successfully raised a family um, and those kids are off on their own, and they're now now a uh, baby boomer couple that is looking uh, to enjoy life and explore things that they maybe put aside while they are raising their family. As we really understand what we're good at as a company, 
and we really understand who our customers are, we try and put those two things together to drive the evolution of the business going forward. And, and as an example, um, seven years ago, we launched a themed music cruise business um, where we now uh, charter uh, luxury cruise lines and, and host floating music festivals um, from, from ports in California and Florida. How did we get there, I think is, is a natural question. And, and we got there through that understanding of our customers. And, and we know that our target customer loves nostalgic music. We know that there are a lot of them out in the marketplace because we talk to them all the time. We sell them our music and, and video products. Those customers love the way that our products take them back to the best times of their life, and we help them relive their memories. I talk to uh, customers on the phone, and I talk to customers in person, and I'm often told by them, when I ask, why did you buy one of our products, I'm often told that in one of our advertisings, advertisements that they heard a song that transported them back to one of the happiest moments in their life. It was their prom theme song, or it was their wedding song, or it reminded them of their first kiss. And hearing that one song built such an emotional collection that they pick up the phone or they go online to buy that package. As a company, Direct Holdings has got the expertise to bring those connections to a customer base um, and, and build from that emotional connection that we're able to build um, into multiple commerce transactions. At the same time, we've got these great relationships in the entertainment industry. We've worked with some of the top names um, in the entertainment industry for decades, and we've got great relationships with them. As we were thinking about what we wanted to do as a company, we thought about those relationships and the fact that those entertainers are still operating and performing at a very high level. And is there a way for us to put that relationship together with our ability to connect emotionally with our customers? And we settled on the notion of building nostalgic theme cruises. So as I said before, we're chartering luxury cruise ships on Celebrity and Holland America um, for a week at a time, or we're putting on floating music festivals like the Mall Shop Memories Cruise, which is 50s and 60s music, or uh, the Soul Train Cruise, which is celebrating that great era um, of Soul Train music, or the Flower Power Cruise, which is celebrating the pop era of the 60s. Um, we get some of the best performers from those eras uh, to perform for us and, and sail with us. In the last year, we've had Kenny Rogers, uh, we've had Smokey Robinson, and in a couple of months, we'll be sailing with Frankie Valley on Mall Shop. Um, next year, we have Vince Gill, we've got the Commodores, we've got Peter Frampton sailing with us, and that's, our, um, that's us leveraging our industry relationships to bring those high-profile talents onto our cruises. That's a business line that didn't exist seven years ago. Um, it has doubled in profitability every year for the past three years and it's got tremendous growth potential for the next five. Um, we are right now uh, in 2016, we're the second largest steam music cruise uh, provider in the U.S. And I expect within the next two or three years that we will take the uh, top spot. It's, to me, Chris, it's a, it's a group. Yeah. Now, Sorry, okay, what you've clearly done is you focused on what you do really well. 
but you really it really sounds like you know your customers well, but use as an example the cruises, it's something that's evolved in our consumer market space of late. The cruising has become a great vacation, and now you're bringing what the consumer wants in buying and the vacation experience. Am I incorrect in that analysis? No, that's exactly right. And, and what we're doing um, with our cruises is we're taking advantage of the things that cruise lines do really, really well. They do hoteling very well. They uh, get you from point A to point B uh, to terrific resorts really, really well. What they don't do well is the entertainment side. When you go on a typical cruise ship, you've got uh, most nights a, a prepackaged Broadway review that's, you know, it's okay, but it's certainly not uh, terrific entertainment. We strip all of that off of the cruise experience and replace it with 50 plus shows um, across the, across all the venues on the ship. So at any point in time, there are two or three shows going on by people that you've heard of um, and people that you grew up and love um, and, and, uh, put on those terrific shows for, for people. So it's taking the best of what the cruise lines do and, and stripping off the things that they don't do well and, and replacing it with what we do really well. So I know you're a good CEO. You've clearly given that message. Let's talk to the listeners about something that may not have gone as well as you would have liked and why you think it may not have worked. Well, I try not to remember those things, but there are always lessons to be learned uh, in failure. And, and a good example of that, uh, around the same time that we launched that successful theme cruise business, we also launched a record label. Um, and it's, a, it's an initiative that did not work. Um, there was, we saw a niche in the marketplace um, for well-known artists that we had relationships with. Um, who did not have record labels. So artists like Peter Gabriel or Garth Brooks or Steve Miller um, don't have active record labels. They're kind of sitting in the middle. The, the big record labels want Taylor Swift or Adele who can do crank out multi-platinum uh, records and sell millions of tracks online. Um, and the smaller in independent record labels um, don't have the wherewithal to, to deal with somebody like a Peter Gabriel or a Steve Miller. There's, there's nobody that, no record label that sits in between those two things. And we thought that our industry relationships um, would provide us an opportunity to build a pretty competitive business uh, kind of in that middle space. Um, looking back on it, the assessment of the need was correct. The, the, those artists are out there and they don't have record labels. Um, so we got that part of it right, and we got the relationship part of it right. What we did not get right in retrospect was the having a core capability about exploiting those uh, properties. So we're really good at building TV uh, campaigns or online campaigns to drive direct-to-consumer uh, awareness and purchase. Um, a Record release, CD release by an individual artist is a very, very different business model. Um, it's all retail distribution or online digital distribution. And those are things that we do, but they're not particularly core competencies. So we ultimately, I think we probably could have built 
a successful model, but after I think four years, we shut that business line down um, to focus our resources on things where we uh, had a more open field in front of us. Um, it's the cruise line example is a great example of correctly identifying those core capabilities and, and taking advantage of them and truly understanding consumer. Um, the record label is an example of doing that partially well, but not well enough to be truly successful. And, and in retrospect, it's something that we either should have gotten out of uh, quicker than we did or not gotten into it at all. You know, we've spent the last 20 minutes talking about what has happened. Let's change our, our focus and let's go to vision. What do you see on the horizon for direct holdings? Better yet, what's next? Yeah, there are, there are two big things that we're working on now um, that are going to drive the continued evolution. And one of them is building off of the success we've had on live entertainment. So we will continue for the foreseeable future to launch one or two new themed music cruises uh, on an annual basis. We've just recently launched a 70s soft rock cruise that will sail uh, next uh, next March, um, and that's off to a great start, and we'll do more of those. Um, but we also want to take that model and bring it onto dry land um, and host three or four-day music festivals on uh, in uh, resort venues or convention center venues. Um, we think that there's a real opportunity to bring something like the Malt Shop Memories cruise uh, to a long weekend um, in a uh, great hotel, great town setting. And there are a couple of people who do that in the marketplace now um, and do it well, but they're small. And so we have an opportunity to come in and bring some significant scale and all of our marketing prowess to that market. And I think pretty quickly, build a dominant business um, in land-based festivals, not, not of a scale of a Bonnaroo or Coachella or something where they're bringing 80 or 100,000 people together. We don't want to be in that business, um, but something where we're bringing 10 or 20,000 diehard fans uh, to a venue for a three or four day weekend um, and give them some great experiences and great music. That's a big opportunity and something that I'm hoping we're going to launch uh, a year from now. Um, and the second big opportunity for us is, is a little more nebulous, but I think is potentially a bigger uh, uh, thing for us to chase, and, and it's the blending of commerce and content online. Um, there are a, a lot of companies out there, and we're one of them, that do the commerce model online very well. Timelife.com is a great store uh, for your entertainment product, nostalgic entertainment products. Um, but there's not very much content there at all. It's really just an online catalog, um, like an Amazon. There are a bunch of websites that do content very well, whether it's uh, uh, people.com or TMZ or any of the other uh, content sites out there that have been very successful. There are very few people who have put those two things together successfully. So a commerce site where people go to it to engage and learn um, and uh, build community um, that also integrates uh, commerce into it. Um, and, and I think that our, the way that we interact with our customers um, and the products that we bring to market, there's a unique opportunity for us to do that in a way that other people aren't doing it. Um, it'll, it'll engage with our current customer base 
more deeply and keep them more connected with what we do on a day-to-day basis. But it also gives us an opportunity to attract a whole new audience of people who look like our customers, but who aren't engaging with us today. That's a longer range goal for us with something that we're actively working, working on. I tell you what, I'm going to look forward to that 80s rock uh, platform that you're going to build and somewhere that's going to be fun because uh, that would be an awesome experience. That's, that's a great example of something that we were looking to do. Perfect. There we go. So let's, let's go back and let, let's be educational as we wrap this up. What are some of the most valuable lessons that you as a CEO have learned as a result of being the chair of leading direct holdings? One of the things that we've talked about a lot over the last uh, 20 or 30 minutes is that notion of identifying uh, core capabilities. And I think one of the lessons that I've learned and has been reinforced time and time again is the importance of really doing that exercise at a deep level. Um, as an example, um, I can, it's easy for me to rattle off three things that Direct Holdings does very, very well. Um, and one of those things is that we've got a, a great customer file. And we have hundreds of thousands of customers who have bought things from us and engage with us on a, a daily, weekly, monthly basis. Um, it, but in terms of providing strategic advantage, a lot of companies have um, great customer files and that, that they are proud of and, and that they are using to drive their businesses. So on the surface, our customer file is is our core capability, our core competency. Scratch that surface and think about it a little more as we did. Um, in fact, what our competitive advantage is our ability to build emotional connections with our customer base. Um, and it's not just about having a bunch of names on a file that we can market to and can send newsletters to, et cetera. It's about our ability to engage with them on a routine basis emotionally that provides a much deeper hook into them um, as, as we're talking to them and as we're uh, doing business with them. It's understanding that real true core capability that you have to dig for that helps us launch that cruise business. If, if we had just thought about, we've got a lot of names of our, on our file as being our true competitive advantage, I'm not sure that we would have built uh, the business that we have today that's really built on building those emotional uh, connections. So it, that is one lesson, as I said, it's been driven home many, many times that it's having building and using that real fundamental advantage of what you do well as a business and what you do better than your competitors is critical uh, to long-term success. The other big lesson that I've learned um, and learned it painfully over the years is that one of the most important things that I do on a day-to-day basis as a leader is get the right people uh, onto the bus here um, as employees. Um, I, the biggest concern is getting the right people onto the bus. We worry about putting them into the right seats as the second phase. Um, you know, it is, I, I'm a firm believer as a leader of this organization that we are better off being understaffed for a period of time than having bad team members on the, on the, on the team. And you know, as I look back over my career, I can, I can count the number of times uh, where I've thought back and said, gee, I wish I'd made 
that difficult personnel decision more slowly. Um, if I counted them up, the number of times that happened would be zero. I never thought back and said, gee, I wish I'd gone more slowly there. I've always thought that should have happened more quickly. Um, so uh, the lesson learned from me and the lesson I would impart to listeners is um, have an honest assessment of the people on your staff and uh, make changes that need to be made as quickly as, as you possibly can to get the right people onto the team because, I mean, the right team together makes all the difference in achieving goals. If, if I can go in just a little deeper with you, think back over the last 10 years and as your business has evolved, a really good team member eight years ago, given what you were doing and what you needed, can you think of where that team member may not have been based on their skill sets and their competencies a good team member today? In other words, just because you're a good person, as the business evolves and the model changes, so too does the need to make sure that you've got the right people and not just because they're good people. Uh, that, that's absolutely correct. And, and I often say to people here that um, I can teach or we can teach employees the technical things that they need, uh, technical skills that they need to be productive employees here. Um, what we can't teach is things like accountability. Or it's much harder to teach things like accountability. It's much harder to teach things like having strategic vision or um, having internal drive. Um, and so I, the right staff members, the right team members here are people that have those things. They are, they have accountability. They have the ability to think strategically. They have internal motivation, internal drive. Um, and those are the people who succeed long-term folks who come in to this organization, or I think any organization with a technical skill that you need that don't have those other things can be very beneficial in the short term, but aren't likely to be long-term players for the organization because they come in with a specific skill um, that then as the business evolves, as it almost always will, those skills are less and less valuable every day as that goes by. Chris, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I think you've given our listeners a really interesting perspective of how the, the hits of the 80s that we used to be able to buy online in the middle of the night 25 years ago has evolved to now the hits of the, the 80s on a cruise ship in uh, Puerto Vallarta with a cocktail in our hand. And I hope <laughs> to uh, one day be on that cruise, and uh, I'll toast one with you. And uh, we'll listen to some great music. Thank you that sounds so like a plan. Yeah, thank you so much for participating with us today and uh, for being a part of Success Matters. Oh, thanks, Chris. It's been an absolute pleasure.